0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together, and we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'm reading from uh, Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me, so that I too may go worship him.'" After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route.
1: We are in this second week of this Advent season as we are reminded the the candles of hope and peace have been lit. So may they be a flame in our hearts and our minds. I was thinking this week that there is a, hey, Andy Melvin's gum is chewed right here. How special is that? This is awesome. <laughs> uh, I was thinking this week that there is a difference between knowing and knowing. Now, I know they're the same words, but what I mean by that is is this, there's... There's a difference between knowing about something and then having a deeper knowledge of it. So, for instance, a friend of mine said that they were going to finally come to Austin, finally come to Austin. What should I do when I'm there? What would you say? Salt lick? Yeah, that was the first thing I said. I said, barbecue. You got to have some barbecue. And they almost, in this very dismissive way, they were like, yeah, 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 I know there's barbecue in Austin. And I was like, nah, you might know about Franklin, or you might know about Salt Lick, but you really don't know. And uh, in that kind of demeaning tone that we can take as Austinites, you really don't know. It's actually interesting. In the Hebrew language, the word to know uh, is more than just an intellectual idea. To know actually is experiential. It's actually uh, relational. There's is a sense of intimacy that sometimes is, uh, is is attached to that idea of to know. In the book that we're using during this Advent season, uh, Honest Advent by Scott Erickson, he reminds us of this uh, powerful scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting. Anyone fans? Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the movie, this is how Scott talked about it. It said that Will, played by actor Matt Damon, meets his court-designated de- uh, therapist, Sean, played by who? Robin Williams. The great, late Robin Williams. The day before, in Sean's office, Will pokes at Sean, uh, Sean's character by critiquing a painting. A painting that uh, Sean did that hangs on the wall in his office, saying that it was garbage just like his career as a small-time community college psych professor and his recently ended marriage because of his wife's cancer. Ouch. This gets under Sean's skin, and he abruptly ends the meeting. On a park bench the next day, Sean tells Will that he stayed up all night thinking about the words that Will had said, about his painting, about his life, about his career. But then... He said that he slept like a baby when he realized that Will was just a kid who never had left Boston. Will could tell him all about Michelangelo from the books he'd read, but he couldn't tell Sean what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. What it feels like to when you look up in that beautiful piece in Italy, Will could tell Sean all about marriage and probably could recite some beautiful poetry about it, but he could never tell Sean what it feels like to wake up next to a person day after day, year after year, and know that you're truly loved. There's a difference between reading books about life and and the actual risk and reward of living a life of travel, of valor, of love, of service. There is a deep knowing that can only be attained through participation. I love that last line. There is a deep knowing that can only be attained through participation. Knowing not as an intellectual belief they can put up on the shelf, but actually knowing. Now, we're in the season of that we call Advent, which is this time leading up to Christmas. And in the, the season of Advent is a time of waiting, of anticipation. So it's a time of longing. So if deep knowledge is reserved for those who are actually willing to participate, how do we participate in this particular season, in this peculiar season? How do we actually participate with waiting? Well, I think it's we, we participate when we do so with attentiveness. In my mind, there's two different types of waiting. There is one picture of a type of waiting, which is you go to the DMV and you pull that like perforated number that you would also find at, at, at uh, HEB Delhi, and you sit there and you plop down in your seat. You have that perforated number in one hand, and what do you have in the other hand? Your phone, of course. And you spend however much time is left there with 98% of your attention going to your phone, and you reserve 2% of attention to keep your eye on the people that came in after you to make sure that they don't go in before you, right? So it's like, it, there's like this idea of waiting, um, but that's, that's a one type of waiting. Another, another example of that is when you're on your computer, you have plans, and you get that alert that Adobe Flash needs to reinstall. Always at the worst time, and what exactly does Adobe Flash even do, right? <laughs> so that's one type of waiting. Uh, there's another, there's an alternative type of waiting, a picture of waiting, and that's waiting with attentiveness. So in my mind, I picture a a woman, nine months pregnant with a bag packed at the door, uh, waiting for that next contraction. I have a picture of a a kid laying in their bed on Christmas Eve, wide-eyed, with the expectation that at any moment they could hear some sleigh bells on the roof. You have these different pictures of what does it mean to truly wait. One is waiting by killing time. And the other one is waiting by pressing into time, pressing into that moment, open-hearted and fully attentive. That is what we are invited into when we think about how to participate in this season of Advent. Surprisingly, we find these two different pictures of waiting in our scripture reading today in in Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 2. On one hand, we have the picture of the nation of Israel. The king, the scholars, who all know that Jesus, a Messiah, was promised to come to them. But they're going about their life. They're going about their days. They're building their careers. They're putting down their 401Ks, paying down the mortgage, ripping through Netflix, or whatever it is. Like, they're just going through the day. And then on the other hand, we have these mysterious magi, these wise men, as they can be called, and they enter into our Advent story only because they wait differently. They did so because they were attentive. Now, we don't know much about the Magi. They are people from the Far East. We know that. And through our Christmas song, we, uh, we know that there is three Magi. But sorry to say this, and Scott points out in his book, the Bible never says there's only three magi, just that there's three gifts. So somewhere between two and like a thousand magi, right? Somewhere in there, uh, these mysterious individuals come from far, far away with these gifts. Magi were known to be the educated elite of their, of their community. They're especially known to be trained in two different things. One is astro- astronomy. And the other one is in world, world religions. So it's interesting. So when a brilliant star, an abnormal star, is found in the sky, they are the ones who saw it, and I believe they were struck with wonder, what in the world is that doing there? What does that mean? And because of that, because of that that abnormality that they saw, they actually believed in their culture and their day that this is the universe declaring that someone of great importance has been born. They actually came to believe because where the star was that a king had been born to the Hebrew people, to the nation of Israel. And for whatever reason, rather than just seeing it and having this expectation or this belief, they actually went. They actually were prompted, they felt compelled to go and see this newborn king for themselves. And because they were, had this willingness to go, because they were attentive, because they wanted to participate, this whole other world begins to be opened up. This whole other world begins to be opened up because of that. Because they, it displayed curiosity, courage, and a willingness to do something foolish like travel for weeks, maybe months, because a star told you to. But they went from observation to participation. What would compel people like this to go on such a trip? Well, I believe that the Magi were, it was more than just seeing something and and being curious about it, seeing a star in the sky. They actually, I think that they actually believed The only reason why they would go is that they actually believed that something was calling out to them. When they saw that star, when they were attentive enough, something flickered within their heart and their soul. Something woke up in them. And they believed that something, and we believe someone, was calling out to them. Because if they were familiar with the Hebrew text and the prophecy that talked about this coming aside, they would realize that this was not just to be the king of Israel, but this was to be the savior of the world. From observation to participation, this is what they actually were, were compelled to believe and compelled to do because of that. They were attentive externally, but I also think that they were attentive to what's going on inside, their own interior world. I don't believe they would have gone that such distance just to meet a foreign king, but they wanted to meet potentially their own king, the king of their future, their souls, their hearts. As Scott Erickson in that book wrote, he said, the deep desire of the magi was to connect with the creator of the world. And they trusted the creator to reveal the interior journey of the soul and the exterior world around them. They wanted to know God. And they were willing to move from observation to participation in the pursuit of knowing. From knowing about to actually knowing. God often uses, as Scott was saying here, God often uses the exterior world to awaken our interior longings. God often do, does that. He, God uses our world to wake up stuff within us if we're willing to pay attention. Moses encountered God in this burning bush, and if you read that story, you'll find that it actually says that when God saw that Moses came closer to figure out what this was, then God chose to speak. We see even Jesus, he uses. I need to get this. <laughs> I don't miss meeting inside. No, why would I do that? Uh, even Mo, uh, Jesus, he would often use exterior tangible things to awaken the, the interior longings. He would say, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the, look at the birds, how God cares for them. Look at this mustard seed. And he would use the exterior world to awaken conversations about what does fear look like? What does faith look like? What does God's provision really mean to us? And oftentimes, God will use our world and our surroundings if we're attentive. And because of our attentiveness around there, we might even become attentive to our own interior world, our own souls. And I wonder for you, I wonder if God is trying to use the external realities of your life to wake up something inside of you. I mean, even, you know, I, I had a, a teacher once say that God oftentimes comes in the form of our life if we're willing to see it. The exterior experiences of our life, God's trying to use them to, to awaken, to prompt, to open us up. So I, I remember a time in my life around seven years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a, uh, a retreat to Telluride, Colorado. I mean, not a bad spot to go. And in this, time, in this place, I was going to uh, stay with this uh, spiritual director, which is like a Christian way of saying someone who just helps you like a counselor. And so I was going to meet with the spiritual director in Colorado. And I remember meeting with him for the first time. And he had a unique strategy in how to uh, begin his sessions. I would sit down and he would sit down and he would just look at me like this. I was waiting for him to start it. He was waiting for me to start it. And after a while for me, I'm like, I realize that this is what he's, this guy's going to do. It becomes a game to me. Like, all right, fine. It's like playing chicken with each other, but instead of racing two cars at each other, it's just two grown men just staring at each other in awkward silence. For those who don't like silence, you would have hated this moment. But this is what we did, and uh, we somehow broke through it. And in that week, that time... Um, I knew I needed to meet with God. I read a book by a author, a woman, Ruth Haley Barton, this awesome book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. God met me there. took hikes. I spent time outside, and in one of those times, the uh, spiritual director encouraged me, my next hike, to actually stop along the way and uh, to take in the world as if God is trying to speak to me through his creation, just taking in like almost a posture of prayer. And so I went on a hike, and it was beautiful, guys. It was mountains were reaching up to the heavens, aspen leaves were flittering, gold and grains were there, and I just remember sitting on this bench and, and just praying a simple prayer of like, God, I just need to hear from you. And I sat there, and it was much like that spiritual director was now this time with God where I was sitting there in silence going, anytime now. Anyone, anyone ever have an experience in your moments in your life where you feel God is silent and distant? Uh, that was my moment in that time. And, but I had this posture of trying to, to be present to what was going on around me. And I remember seeing, it was a beautiful blue sky like this, and there was one cloud far, far away. It was the only cloud in the sky. And seeing how far and distant that cloud was made me think, yeah, this is a picture of where God is to me. Far, distant aloof, removed, and I went around looking, and then I saw the shadow that the cloud was casting, and it went up this mountain down to this valley and across this ridge, and then slowly I saw the shadow, even though I could no longer see the cloud, I could see the shadow making its way to me, and it just seemed to cover me, it just seemed to stop where I was. And even though I couldn't see the cloud, I experienced its its presence, and it was almost in that moment where God said, "I'm not distant, I'm here, and I've got you. I'm gonna cover you." Now it's one thing to go to Telluride and meet with a spiritual director, and have these moments on a literal mountaintop, right? But it's another thing to be attentive to God in our surroundings and the mundane moments of our days, between Zoom meetings and dropping kids off at daycare and our deadlines and everyday obligations. It's harder to be attentive then. But I wonder if the mountaintop moments, those kind of uh, moments and experiences we have, are not meant to be the anomaly, but they're meant to teach us, to wake us up that God is with us and longing to speak to us in the common and the ordinary in nature, in conversations with friends, in moments of silence and solitude with God, and even in our surroundings, and maybe even in art. So I want us to look at this painting like we did last time. If you guys weren't here last time, we talked about um, the practice we're going to do during the season of Advent with a Visio Divina, where we take in a piece of art in this posture of prayer. And so I want us to take a look at this this illustration right here. I'm just going to give us a couple moments. And just with a simple question of, what do you notice? With this story in mind, what do you notice? While you guys are looking at this painting, I just want to read this. After the Magi had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that had been seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. This little child, this promise. It's interesting for me, I noticed the only color, the only gold fleck in this whole thing, the illustration is on the little heart of a child. The small heart of a newborn, the flickering heartbeat of a vulnerable young child. We have the promise of a God who loves and speaks and is present. The end of their journey, what began with the tenetives to a star, led them to the very heart of the creator of the universe. And it prompted them to worship from observation to participation. Okay. I wonder if the Magi ever stopped being a I wonder if they... Ever neglected to the idea, the belief that God actually can speak and chooses to speak to them years later. I wonder what it was like when they looked up at the stars and remembered how the creator of the universe gave them this invitation. I wonder what it was like when they were tell this story to friends, their memory of a baby whose birth commanded the stars in the heavens. And all because of what God was doing. But there's actually something better. What's something better is the Magi weren't the only people that were attentive we find in Scripture. There's actually a a greater example of attentiveness. I believe that Jesus displayed attentiveness more than anyone else in all of human history. Jesus saw clearly what was around him. Jesus looked more deeply at his environment. So, Jesus was attentive to a wee little man who climbed up into a tree to see Jesus. He didn't want to be seen, but he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus saw him. Jesus was attentive to an old widow who had no money, but the one little coin that she had, she dropped in sacrificial love and sacrifice to God. And Jesus said, now that right there, what you're seeing right there, that is true worship. She gave everything she had. Jesus was attentive to a man covered in righteousness, this rich young ruler, and Jesus saw beneath the, his, his vain morality into a deeper need. Jesus saw that and loved him and drew that out. Jesus called a disciple named Nathanael, and Nathaniel was a little bit iffy on whether or not he wanted to follow Jesus, but the thing that flipped the switch for him is that Jesus said, Nathanael, I saw you when you were sitting over by that fig tree. It seemed so elemental. I saw you sitting beneath the tree. But for him, it was this reality that God sees you. I think Jesus displayed of tennis more than anyone else so that maybe, just maybe, in 2020, in Austin, Texas, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of this Advent season, that you could have this foolish belief That God knows you. God sees you. He's acquainted with you. There's not a part of you that's unknown by God. He knows you fully. He is attentive to you. In the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your uncertainty, God sees you. And I believe if we truly held that, if we truly believed that, We would live differently. So look to the stars and everything else around you. Be attentive to that which is outside as well as inside of you, the longings that you have. Find the courage to move from observation to participation. In this season of Advent, wait with all of your heart and your mind open to God so that you might move from knowing about this God to truly knowing him, to knowing him for yourself. Because God surely knows you.